Welcome to the Red Shirts Dynasty Podcast, a Ball Blast football production. Here are your hosts, Matthew Betts, Matt Okada, and John Helmkamp. What is up, everybody? Welcome back into the Red Shirts Dynasty Podcast. Well, the intro man is lying. He is straight up a liar. There is no John Helmkamp. There actually is no Matt Okada on the show today, so our listeners might be a bit, bit confused. Uh, however, I am still here holding down the fort, and I am joined by a very, very special guest, one of my best friends in the industry, the man, the myth, the legend, Edwin Porras, at FBInjuryDoc on Twitter. Edwin, what is going on, my dude? Not a lot, man. It's nice to hear you compliment me that way because I'm not a legend in any means. Um, legendarily <laughs> bad at like doing the dishes, legendarily bad at... Uh, doing laundry you can ask my wife uh, i'm legendarily bad at a lot of things so i guess you're i guess you're right in theory i am a legend so i'll take the compliment <laughs> in some aspects yeah for sure and and edwin and i wanted to kind of hop on together to do an injury specific show and you know one thing that's great about what we do, both do in this community is provide injury analysis and i don't know about you evan but i feel like every time that i read another either pt or medical doctor's content i'm like oh that's a great point i didn't even think about that so it's a great way for us to bounce some ideas off of each other uh, make each other hopefully smarter and make you all way smarter with some of this information. I know Edwin's going to bring uh, some great takes tonight, which he always does. So, uh, Edwin, before we get into it, before we talk dynasty by lows from an injury perspective, that is a topic for the show. Um, introduce yourself a little bit to the people. Tell them about yourself. Tell them where you write and just plug your stuff. Okay, so I'll, I'll try to keep it simple. Fantasypoints.com for all my written content. I uh, just put out a... a a piece that uh, Matthew himself, the legend, put out, tweeted about it. Um, so I appreciated that. Uh, that's uh, about injury prone and what the implications of saying injury prone really mean and, and why it's not necessarily always ideal to use the word, the phrase injury prone. Uh, go to fantasypoints.com for that. And then my podcast is the injury prone <laughs> fantasy football podcast. Uh, <laughs> Ironic. So it's, it's, yeah, a little play on words, a little tongue in cheek. So go check, check yeah. me out there, please. Yeah, absolutely. 10 out of 10 would recommend uh, both those resources for everyone. I will put the link to that article in the YouTube video description. So if you're watching on YouTube, it should be down below. Um, great article. It's free. Check it out. And I think it does a good job. We're, we're going to start the conversation there, Edwin, of just kind of talking about like what what does that mean? Because you will hear Joe Schmo and every other person out there that's talking to a microphone about football mention the word injury prone at some point on their show. Maybe not every week, but at least every couple of weeks. And you you ask yourself when you hear it, where that guy get that information? Is that a thing? And I would just say, you know, I have my thoughts on this and I feel like our listeners know what I think. So maybe you can share everyone what your thoughts are on this. Um, when you hear someone else say, you know, Will Fuller is injury prone or Keenan Allen three years ago was injury prone. Uh, what do you say to those people? Well, first I say... First, I would try to approach it in a way because, and you know how this goes on Twitter specifically, you don't want to approach a conversation already in like bad faith, right? If somebody really believes something, uh, I've started, I've tried to start an earnest discussion, just be like, well, why do you think that? Most of the time, what, what I've found is people say, well, because he's missed X percentage of games over the last, you know, two years, three years, or they'll say, well, just look at his, you know, he hasn't played a full season since, you know, since Nam. That's typically like they'll cite some crazy <laughs> stuff. Like they haven't played. And the bottom line is to try to keep it as concise as possible. When we see players injured, yes, an injury history might predict future injuries. 
However, it is not set in stone. So anytime a player is hurt in the NFL, especially for a violent game, I mean, there's I've cited this over and over again. Uh, there's a study out there on NFL athletes. It, it went for like five years and or it was like five or six years. And they found that 2.3% of games were considered injury free, quote, injury free. So there were no injuries reported. And in those games, the 2.3%, you know, there's a dude who saw stars. You know, there's a dude who dislocated his finger and put it back himself. You know, there's, you know, all these things that happen. So in reality, it's not unreasonable to say that zero NFL games are injury free. So when you say, you know, this person's injury prone, what are you really saying? And I think getting to the, to the underlying, you know, basis of what you believe about a player uh, is different than just blanketly saying this person's injury prone. If you think that a, his, a history of hamstring injuries is bad because this player's had a history of hamstring injuries, that's fair. I won't fault you there. But to say that every player falls into that type of category, I think is, is, is a fallacy. Yeah. And I, I pretty much share the exact same thoughts. Um, I think the article does a great job of kind of highlighting how to use this information. Like there's, you know, anyone can give their own opinion. And the unfortunate reality is this is not true just in fantasy football. This is true in medicine and this is true in anything. People take what you say if you have a background in it as fact, when in times we should be asking ourselves, well, why is that? And what what are the other outcomes that could come from this? And I think you do a good job of kind of making that explanation in the article of saying like, hey, listen, just because so-and-so has had, you know, three injured seasons in a row, we can't just say like, okay, he's now injury prone and we can just put that label on him moving forward. Otherwise, no one would ever want Keenan Allen on their roster. He is the case in point for this argument. So he's, he's a good one. I will point out too, you mentioned injury history, right? That's something that we use all the time to talk about these players. And we'll talk about it on the show tonight about how that is a big predictor of, of future injuries. So people ask me, hey, Betts, can you share your thoughts on is so-and-so injury prone or is that a thing? And I say, Usually my response is that certain players are probably more prone to a specific injury if they've had one before. For example, hamstring injuries are the easiest one to talk about. Everyone knows it. And that's why Will Fuller is just always attached to this injury prone narrative. It's because he's dealt with these injuries in the past. And we know the uh, rates go up once you have one, not only in the same season, but obviously moving forward as well. And so that's kind of where that comes from. But I think having people um, like Edwin, like myself in the industry to kind of help break that barrier has just been so so huge so i really want to recommend to everyone if you're playing dynasty like it is seriously a must read you do a good job i think edwin of just highlighting in there too um i don't have the article pulled up in front of me but i know there's a couple factors that you looked at over the course of time and said if a player checks these boxes they'll have more likely uh, a better chance i should say of kind of having success of coming off of injury do you remember what those three are off the top of your head yeah so this is basically based off of and by the way i think that you worded that perfectly like just because you have a concussion and a fracture and an acl tear and a ruptured kidney doesn't make you that's not injury prone right it, the closest thing that i'll ever come to saying that a player is prone to injuries or or more prone to specific injuries is something like what you said something like a hamstring strain consistent quad contusions or consistent concussion something like that i think that's the best that's that's perfectly worded so in the article specifically i tried to base this broadly right it's really difficult to generalize what factors might specifically go into a player coming off of in, an injury what specific factors would predict them to continue to be successful but i think from the acl literature which you know you've probably read a hundred 
ACL articles in your lifetime, in your career. And there are (laughs) for every hundred that you read, there are like a thousand that we, that are unread. They're going to go unread. There's so, so much ACL literature out there. So basically this new study that I cited, and I wish I'm so bad at like citing these on the spot. I forget the, the author's names, but essentially they found that when it comes to ACL tear specifically, uh, if the player is 24 years old or younger, and if they have high draft capital, and if they don't have a multi-ligament injury, they are more than likely to come back at their previous level and perform at their previous level. And if you think about that from a big picture perspective, that just makes sense, right? A person who's young, who's athletic, and they have high draft capital because they have more, a longer leash from the front office, and they have more sort of, they're more built into baked into the, the organization's future plans, they're going to get more opportunity. And a lot of times, cause they are so good and they're just, they're just first and second, third, fourth rounders. Um, they're going to get that opportunity and they're going to oftentimes succeed. So compared to obviously the field. So those are the factors that in my opinion, and maybe you have different thoughts. If that applies to ACL tears, an injury that's significant, I think it's fair. It's more than fair to assume those factors will play into, you know, how every, every other major injury that you might consider. Uh, for for NFL athletes. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the one thing that we know across the board when you look at these injuries is almost every study that looks at like predictive analysis of like, okay, well, can we predict injury in the future? Uh, it looks at age as a factor. And obviously younger, more athletic people. <laughs> I'm, I'm approaching the age of 30, so I'm, I think I'm officially getting old. Yeah, um, younger than me are able to have more chances to come back. And the other factor, I, I remember... Gosh, three years ago, I wrote an article when I was still writing for Dynasty Nerds way back when. Uh, and I wrote an article just like what factors matter. The biggest thing that I found across the board with the research was like draft capital. If these GMs and owners and coaching staffs, they, if they care enough about you and think you're a good enough player to invest a first or second round pick in you, they want to prove that they're right. So they're going to give you way more opportunity to succeed. You know, hey, uh, if Rashad Penny was like a six-round pick, there's no sh- no chance he'd be on NFL roster right now, right? But they right. spent a first-round pick on him. They want to see if they can actually get back from that injury. So I think he's a, a great example of that. But that is a great discussion, I think, on injury-prone. Is it a thing? Is it not a thing? How do we digest it? Check out the article. It is fantastic. Appreciate okay, it, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. The highlight of the show. We're talking trades. We're talking dynasty. It is officially dynasty season, trade season. We want to know, can these players bounce back or not? And we're going to give you a couple that we think can. So I'm going to kick it back to Edwin. He has got a tight end on this list who I feel like is a little bit controversial. So I'm excited to hear his take. Sorry, I was on on mute there. My bad. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a real clean, polished podcaster. So (laughs) Evan Ingram, right? And I'm going to pull up this, this tweet that I have on him. The thing about Evan Ingram is we knew going in that Evan Ingram was going to have a hard time this year. Right, we knew that he was going to be a dude that we probably couldn't trust because of the offense. And maybe you can get into that in just a little bit. You're much more locked into organizations from an, like an actual football perspective than I am. But basically, we knew he was coming off that list, Frank, and we knew that it was going to be brutal because there's a 20% drop off in production for players coming off that uh, coming off that injury. So basically, what I looked at specifically because I, I get curious about these types of players. In 2017 and 2018, Evan Ingram averaged 9.4 points per game. And then in 2019, he averaged 10.9. So this year, 2020, he averaged 6.8. I think that was a uh, quick math in my head. That's almost like a 30% drop off, like a 20 to 30% drop off, which is huge. It might be even more than that. So this year, he, he did drop off. If you look at his breakdown game by game, his peak 
I would let me count his one, two, three, three of his games this year. Uh, his three peaks, his best games were in the second half of the season, which makes sense. Now you could also argue, and, and again, this is where I'll kick it to you. You know, is that offense even good? Is Daniel Jones good? Are they ever going to open it up? Why does Jason Garrett have a job? All of those questions you're looking for. <laughs> but we know that when it comes to the list, Frank specifically and the injury specifically, players come back, they bounce back after that specific injury. It's now been, it'll be two years since he's had a concussion, which really helps. His other ailments have been MCL tears. Those MCL uh, injury sprains, they they tend to get better with time as well. So I'm just, you can get Evan Ingram for like 50 cents on, like on the dollar, right? He's, he's, when it comes to dynasty perspective, I don't think people value him very much at all, but he's, again, go back to the factors we're looking at. He's young. He's super athletic. He's got high draft capital and he's shown that he can be productive, you know, at, at the top. A lesson I learned this year is don't fade tight ends because of injuries, by the way, very rarely will I do that um, because I faded TJ Hawkinson because I was nervous for the first half of the season ended up being the wrong decision. But basically Evan Ingram's a guy that I think a lot of people are sleeping on for, for 2021, given the, the landscape of tight ends. Yeah, for sure. Okada and I just did a dynasty startup ADP um, value show. So if you missed that, it's the last episode we did go back and check it out. And I was like, dude, Evan Ingram, tight end 11. Like that seems, and, and the running backs he was going after, just like dudes that may not even start next year. I was like, what is this? Like if you're telling me you can get a, a tight end that's athletic like Evan Ingram at tight end 11 value in the double digit rounds of a dynasty startup, my answer is heck yes. If he was going in the third round, I'd be like, man, I'm not really sure. You talked about it with the Giants. <laughs> Are they a good organization? Yeah, tell me right about now? that. What do you think of that? Offense? I don't know. Daniel well, Jones is good, right? Like Daniel Jones is objectively not a good quarterback or, or am I wrong I think, when I see that? I think the consensus is starting to lean that way. Yes. I had high hopes for Daniel Jones entering because of his rushing ability, but it just didn't pan out and it's not looking great. But Jason Garrett uh, was making some questionable decisions, in my opinion, as, to, as far as how he was using Evan Ingram. I mean, they were using this dude like five yards down the line of scrimmage, like outside of like not what you do with an athletic freak like Evan Ingram. Jason now. Stuff. Exactly. Exactly. He was running like a curl route on like 30% of his routes. The other factor, though, with that is that, okay, maybe he wasn't as healthy as he should have been or maybe will be in the, later in the after the season. Let's protect him. Let's keep him close to the line of scrimmage, not make him run these crazy like double moves and things that stress um, the Liz Frank injury and all that sort of stuff. So maybe you can make an argument for both. But in the second half of the year, they actually opened up the route tree for Evan Ringham quite a bit. Like you're saying, the production came he was more healthy. So it, it kind of all makes sense, in my opinion. I think he's a great bounce back candidate. I think he's a great buy low. No one wants Evan Ingram on the roster because he was burnt. And like you said, one predictor of future success is making sure those guys have that draft capital. The 23rd overall pick, uh, what, three or four years ago at this point now? But still that first round draft capital. So he's right there. Gosh, I hope they can get the quarterback situation locked up. But we'll yeah. see. I like that call quite a bit. They got to trade for us. Yeah, oh gosh. <laughs> Although, secretly, as an Eagles fan, I kind of hope that they keep sucking, but we will see. <laughs> uh, for my first one here, I'm go going back to Rod Godwin. Yes, Chris Godwin is a player who, entering last offseason in ADP, was a top five dynasty wide receiver. And all of a sudden, no one wants this dude. He's going in like the third or fourth round of like best balls right now. He has completely fallen off the face of the earth. And it's because of the fact that maybe he didn't have as much of a ceiling with Jameis Winston. I think we saw that. But you also have to talk about this guy from an injury perspective, right? Start of the year, hamstring injury, in and out of the lineup a couple times. We see that all the time. Then breaks a bone in his finger. Plays the entire year after getting the hardware removed with a splint on his finger. I mean, 
this guy was never 100% the entire year. I read an article on The Athletic about uh, Chris Godwin's kind of interview he did at the end of the season. He just said, you know what, really, like I didn't feel myself at all this past season. And I feel like for dynasty managers and fantasy players in general, we get so hung up in just like week to week. What did you do for me last week? Oh, you did nothing. You're dead. Like it's just it's such a long game. Chris Godwin's so young, high draft capital. He's a second round pick. I'm all in on Chris Godwin this year. I feel like people are not really talking about him uh, as far as a bounce back candidate because he's not going in like ten the round you know round ten. He's still a relatively high pick, but compared to where he was last year, completely different story. I think God the the Godwin thing is weird, right? Because I feel like he's such a talented player, and people are like tend to forget that. I don't know if it's the Mike Evans there. I don't know if it's the Antonio Brown there, but I really think that regardless of where Godwin ends up, allegedly they're going to bring him back. But I, regardless of where Godwin ends up, I think he's going to be good. I think he's he's a stud. Um, he's proven what he can do, and I I love that one. Nice. All right, this is the man. I mean, this is the like. I'm gonna make this guy like the cover, the cover boy. I think Will Fuller. He is Mr. Injury Prone. People on Twitter love to get so excited when they see Will Fuller go on the sidelines. They're like, "Yes, I told you so, Betts. You idiot. I knew he was gonna injure his hamstring again." Uh, what are we doing with, with Will Fuller? We at the current. Pro- I don't know. Have you seen his ADP lately? Uh, I can look it up right now. Okay, I'll keep talking. I'll filibuster for you because I'm curious. Because when it I got comes, it. I got to- it. It's ready. Go That's ahead. Quick. But for dynasty wide receiver 41 wide receiver behind behind Chris Carson behind Ronald Jones behind Odell Beckham Jr. Rashad Bateman. Oh, this is ugly. Yeah. Wide receiver 41 wide receiver 41. You're telling me I can get Will Fuller, a guy who put up huge numbers before he, he was suspended. Now, I know the automatic thing is he was taking PEDs. Bets, maybe you are more informed on this than I am. I have a wife who's a pharmacist, so she sort of tried to explain this to me. I said, explain it to me like I'm five. She's way smarter than I am, so I still don't totally get it. There are the banned substance lists that the NFL has. I couldn't identify any science that objectively would have Per, uh, what remedied Will Fuller's specific hamstring issues, his specific ailments. So I don't know what it would have been potentially EPO. That's what people would, you know, we can speculate all we want, but for example, like HGH, like in theory, yeah, HGH would have helped him train in the off season. He would have gotten ham, stronger hamstrings, but don't you think he was trying that in the, in the beginning? I don't know. They're just, when it comes to the PED stuff, I don't see anything that would have hit, would have, been proven to help him anyway. You also saw that in the offseason, and we've talked about this. He changed the way that he was working out, right? He hired a new, uh, I think he hired a new strength and conditioning coach. Like he was very aware of himself and very aware of the things that he needed to do to get better. So when you're you're talking to dude who's as good as Will Fuller and he's going wide receiver 41, like that's a lottery ticket. That's a that's a dude who could that's literally a league winner if, if he stays healthy. And I'm I'm not convinced that just because he was popped for PEDs that he can't come back and stay healthy anyway. Yeah. I mean it, the PEDs thing like to me it's something that I feel like people want to chase the answer to it, you're never going to find it, right? Like, we don't really know what it was, and maybe he knew, maybe he didn't. So I'm kind of chalking it up as a, well, that's horrible timing for for, for us telling you he's not injury prone. <laughs> and, and people are taking the W on Twitter about it. Pretty <laughs> yeah. fine. We uh, really hey. victory left that one too. I think I like tagged you in the in the tweet about it. And then, <laughs> and then like a week later, he was he got suspended. 
Yeah, and we can't forget too, right? At the end of uh, not 2020, end of 2019, he also dealt with that um, sports hernia and had sports hernia surgery. We know that those actually heal pretty reliably and the recovery rates are great. People perform well after them. And then I saw these like reports coming out over the summer, like you're referencing new coach changing his diet, maybe doing peds. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> changing his diet, changing right. his training routine, uh, talking about changing his posture when he runs so that he's not stressing his hamstrings as much. I was like, Guys, if there is ever a, a season that you're in on Will Fuller, it's this year because he was going yes. like the sixth or seventh round in redraft leagues in best ball. It was just an absolute steal. No DeAndre Hopkins there to compete with targets. Like it just lined up perfectly. And I'm shocked after what we saw him play almost an entire full season. Obviously, he missed because of the um, the PEDs at the end. He performed uh, like wide receiver one numbers. So even if you don't believe that he is maybe over the injury bug and maybe you're like, I'm still concerned. Fine. Be concerned. But take him at like wide receiver 30, not like wide receiver 41. Like you're still getting a huge discount. So I am definitely in. I'm actually going to write down a note right now to myself. Go yeah. trade for Will Fuller after this show. I love when you uh, agree. That is it. It, makes me feel, it makes me feel smarter. Yes, it is an absolute great call. Uh, I'm going back to uh, another tight end here. George Kittle. That man is so fun to watch play football. So when he's not on the field, it is very sad for all of us. Um, lots of injuries. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's had uh, shoulder issues, instability issues in the shoulder, AC joint sprain. We're talking about an MCL sprain. We're talking about a cuboid fracture in the foot. I mean, it's it's sort of piling up for George Kittle. I don't know about you, Edwin, but I'm getting like vibes of Keenan Allen 2.0 here. What are your thoughts overall before I give my take on on George Kittle? Yeah, I think the, the first thing that jumps to mind, and it always does, is people are so quick to be like, George Kittle's style of play is, and I actually referenced him in that article, George Kittle's style of play is what why he's injured so often. Well, he it's actually not true. He's The three major injuries that he's had, um, specifically this cuboid fracture you just mentioned, the fracture in the foot, that came when he was up in the air trying to catch the ball. He also got his knee, his knee hyperextended when he was blocking. Another time he got injured, it was because he, again, was coming up for the ball. His knee hyper, that was 2019. So, Yep. His style of play has nothing to, even if I said to you, yeah, style of play matters. It, by the way, it doesn't. But even if I said to you, style of play matters, and I, I would look at George Kittle and I'd be like, I mean, yeah, style of play matters, but this guy's style of play is fine. He's blocking, he's catching passes, and he's just getting hurt. It's just happening. Again, 2.3% of, of, of injuries, 2.3% uh, of games in the NFL are injury-free. So I, I actually love taking George Kittle. He is one of those dudes, especially at the tight end position, that you just can't pass up. I don't know. I don't know what his ADP is, but man, uh, yeah, I definitely. If anybody offers me George Kittle, depending on what it's for, I'm probably taking it. <laughs> there you have it. You could you have full ability to use this against Edwin. <laughs> play play the clip, right. play the audio clip, and then you just send a ridiculous <laughs> offer, and you're like, dude, right. you said, like, God damn it, I have to take that. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I did say that. I guess I have to accept it. Uh, he is going in current startups at the tight end two uh, behind Kelsey. He is going a, around 26, pick 26. So he's just after the second round, beginning of the third, end of the second, somewhere around there in Dynasty Startups. I think that's a perfectly fine ADP to invest in George Kittle. I'm not worried about it. And it's because the trend doesn't really follow something that concerns me a lot. Um, you look at like fractures, right? They heal reliably well. George Kittle's cuboid fracture, that is a bone that has excellent blood supply, heals well. And last year, if the Niners actually were in contention, George Kittle would have come back a little bit sooner. He still played last year. Like, that's how much this dude loves football. He wanted to be back on the field in a lost season, and he looked fine out there. He looked good, and he, he you know, was able to produce. So you're talking about a player who 
just last year, a year ago, was the tight end one in Dynasty. And it was like, oh, yeah, he's way younger than Kittle or than Kelsey, excuse me. He's obviously the one. And now everyone's like, oh, I guess I'll take him in the third round behind like Miles Sanders. To me, that's a screaming kind of like overreaction to a guy who can truly separate at the position when you talk about the cheat code of, of an elite tight end in Dynasty. So I am all in on trying to get Kittle as a value because I see after this year, he's back up at least at like the early second round, maybe late first. So love me some George Kittle. We have to disagree right, on one of these, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about one guy. How about Rashad Penny? What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, okay. So here we are, right? Where Rashad Penny, I think he was, what did we say Rashad Penny's uh, NFL draft capital was? I think he, he was, was the end a, of the first round. End of the first round, okay? So you also look at the fact that Rashad Penny is 24 years old, I think, 25 years old. Um, yeah, so he's 25 now, uh, if I got that right. So moral of the story for me on Rashad Penny is he has had terrible luck since he came into the organization. There's friction between the coaching staff and the front office. Uh, they didn't want to, they didn't necessarily, you know, put him in a great situation to begin with. Then he fractured his finger and some so sort of a random like metacarpal fracture or something. So he missed a lot of rookie camp. So that was already, he was already off to bad start, right? Then he comes on the end of 2019. He, he and Car- Chris Carson really start to split carries you all of a sudden see him tear his ACL. It ended up, it sounds like, and it feels like it was ACL, MCL, you know, even potentially PCL because he was out for a while and then he came back this year, was out again. So he's just had the worst luck. But you're talking about a young guy with high draft capital. The only category that doesn't fit is he probably did have a multi-ligament injury. Chris Carson is on the way out. You know that Seattle loves to run the ball. I mean, maybe after all this, you know, this mess that Russell Wilson shook up, it might it might change. But, you know, DJ Dallas isn't going to be necessarily a uh, person that's going to get in the way of any of this. So I just look at Rashad Penny and people are literally taking him for like a, a fantasy point subscriber uh, in our discord asked me something like, hey, saw your stuff about Penny. Somebody offered me uh, my late third, like my 311. For Rashad Penny. And I'm like, dude, we're throwing darts at 311 anyway. Like, take that, take that and run. So for me, a dude who was he produced at the college level, he was healthy at the college level. He's gonna be two years removed from a major injury, and the starters on the way out. I I, I just can't pass up Rashad Penny for like a third or fourth round pick. Yeah, and we're not talking about a third or fourth round, like you know, redraft pick or or a dynasty startup pick. We're talking about a rookie pick. And like you're saying, at that point, you just hope those dudes that you take in the third and fourth round make an NFL roster. Basically, so yes, if you're telling me that you could get heck, even a one B starting running, you know, it doesn't have to be like a 20 touch guy, he could be a, a 15 touch guy and still be on the roster. Like you said, they want to establish the heck out of the run in Seattle. That's why they moved on with a, a different uh coaching staff in terms of their coordinator position. That's why Pete Carroll and his white friggin' new balances are still there. Um, so yes, they're gonna use him now. If, if you wanted me to come on this and be like, I have full confidence in Rashad Penny, I'd be lying. And I think you're saying the same thing, right? We don't really know because there is also a lot of data out there when you look at non-injury-based stuff that running backs that don't produce earlier in their NFL career typically fall by the wayside. It's a position that already has a lot of turnover, right? It's like two to three years, maybe four if you're one of the elite guys, maybe five if you're like the top echelon. And then the NFL doesn't want you, right? Look at Todd Gurley just a couple of years ago. So I'm not saying Rashad Penny can't succeed. I'm just saying that there's probably not a great chance. But if you're telling me that chance is a third round rookie pick or a fourth round rookie pick, then yes, I am definitely taking the chance on Rashad Penny. I like that call 
for the price. I mean, you can't really beat that up. All right, man. Last round. Our last one here. Michael Thomas. Last year's wide receiver one in Dynasty, Michael Thomas. This year, wide receiver 10. Now, people are going to say, bets. don't you realize your Breeze is retiring? And I'm going to say yes. I'm also going to tell you that Michael Thomas averaged almost 100 yards per game with Taysom freaking Hill throwing the football. <laughs> Taysom Hill, I'm sorry, is probably not a top-tier quarterback in this league. This is a guy who is battling a high ankle sprain, left ankle, since week one. Literally the first game of the season. Missed a huge chunk of time. Came back. Still produced, even when he was not playing 100%, and clearly wasn't himself with a quarterback that he was not familiar with. And at the end of the year, they said, okay, we're going to the playoffs. We know we can't move up in, in terms of our seating for the NFL playoffs, the Saints. So they said, let's shut him down and let's get him healthy for the, the playoff stretch. These high ankle sprains, man, no matter what you hear or no matter what you read, in the same season, they will not be 100%. It just doesn't happen because, I mean, we see people in the clinic that come in and we're like begging them, like, can you please take six weeks off? Like, can you just not do anything for six weeks and let this thing heal and let's rehab the heck out of it? But these guys are pushing to play three weeks later, four weeks later, five. I mean, it's just not natural healing timelines. And so these guys are playing at less than 100% the entire year. And now Michael Thomas has dropped nine spots in ADP. Say what you want about the guy. Yes, he runs slants, but he catches a crap load of footballs. And I want that on my roster. So if I'm getting this guy at a huge discount... I think I'm in on the Michael Thomas bounce back campaign. Yeah, that's a good one, man. I really agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that. I don't know what his ADP is at, but it's funny how like the basis of an injury discount is the idea that people are, it's like people forget, like we have such a short-term memory. Uh, I mean, yeah, Devontae Adams was obviously dominated this year, but I mean, it was Michael Thomas was like the consensus wide receiver, close to the consensus wide receiver one uh, this year before in redraft. So I, yeah, I definitely I think that regardless of who's throwing to Michael Thomas, I mean, if he's a slant boy, right? But depending on on uh, if if who's throwing him the ball, I mean, he could run slants for anybody. He could run slants for me. I could probably throw one that's in his vicinity and he'd come <laughs> down with it. So, yeah, I definitely love that Michael Thomas call. All right, man. Next segment here. We just got to talk about some general injuries here. Like, what are we doing with these guys in Dynasty or like their early 2021 outlook? Some big names on this list. And we had uh, one listener come in uh, a question about Saquon Barkley, we'll get to him at the end of the show. Let's start with Joey B, Joe Burrow. Joey B, who I was very excited for this year, came out, dropped back at the highest rate in the NFL of any quarterback through like the first two or three months of the season. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous what the Bengals were doing. It came up to bite him in the butt, tears the ACL, uh, MCL, bone bruise, kind of the whole story. Um, what are your thoughts on the injury itself? And then let's talk about maybe the early season outlook for Joe Burrow. Yeah, man. So I really, I want to get your thoughts on this because first of all, the injury was massive. He had ACL, MCL, meniscus. Wasn't there some PCL too? I think there was PCL in there. I mean, this is, yeah, we don't know the, like the exact degree of the PCL injury at Schefter just reported (laughs) that the. Uh, PCL was involved. He didn't really say what was torn or partially torn or what, but he just said it was involved. So right. take that for what you want. Exactly. I mean, best case scenario, it was sprained and a sprain is, is, is going to take some toll on the body. So he had this massive repair and he, to be completely frank, I don't know what you think best. If this injury would have happened, I feel like even 10, 15 years ago, we'd be talking about like, hopefully Burrow can get back on the field. Uh, it, it, it was, it was a serious injury. So, you know, I think that in the beginning of the season, you're really watching for, 
I think it's 10 months. The 10 month mark is like right when the season starts. Uh, I would be, I don't want to say shocked. I'd be surprised even if he has a good rehab that the Bengals throw him out there immediately. Right. So, so that that's going to, so then he might teeter totter on, is he going to go on the pup for eight weeks? Is he not, you know, the Bengals are still in rebuild mode you know that they're not going to want to rush him. I can just see the Bengals saying, let's take it easy. We don't need to bring him back right away. Let him finish his strength and conditioning, you know, protocol uh, as it is right now. And we'll see how he feels at the end of October. So even if he does come back, the flip side is, you know, you know, this better than anybody when, Athletes come back from major injuries. It is not uncommon for them to be skittish in the pocket, right? The Alex Smith story was super cool, super, super cool. But I mean, even you could watch even the just the untrained eye could see that he was apprehensive about being in the pocket and rightfully so, right? And so I would not only worry about, you know, Jimmy G, you saw the same thing. He was a little apprehensive. He still wore his knee brace. So the psychological factor is really something that's going to, for me, will take a toll uh, to, to, to really invest quickly in Joe Burrow for the first half of the season. There's just so much unknown. I mean, we're sitting here in what the beginning of March. So we, there's still so much unknown and we don't know how his progress is going to go. So I would say that in the long term, you know, we're talking two, three years, like, yeah, I'm all in on Joe Burrow, but for 2021, it's just, there's so much unknown and so much that's cloudy that I'm willing to pass on him uh, in redraft specifically. Yeah, I think that's a great call in terms of redraft. It's, a, I think, a completely different conversation when you talk dynasty versus redraft or best ball for a player like this. I mean, we do like full projections at, at Ball Blast. Um, each player, stat them out. It takes forever. I'm not going to be able to project Joe Burrow for 16 games. I, I just can't do it because we know that, like you're saying, like he's going to be pushing week one to even be on the field. And we can say, I think both of us probably with almost 100% certainty, well, not really, nothing in medicine is 100%, but 95% certainty, he's not going to be 100% at that point, right? The PCL rehab is slow. If there's any meniscus repair, that is slow. So a player that has just an ACL injury that starts running at about three months-ish out from surgery, that's delayed in these type of guys. You know, it's delayed by a month or two, and that delays the jumping and the cutting and the sprints. It just delays everything. And so anything that you're hearing about Joe Burrow now, I would just caution people. We don't know. We don't really know right now, and, and hopefully we get more information as we look forward. I'm with you. If you can get him out of value in Dynasty because people are scared, I would do it. Um, but for redraft, I'm probably going to be out. Maybe, I mean, if he's on waivers late in the season, sure, I'll pick him up and play him in a good spot here or there. But um, for kind of planning for your your redraft in March, I would, I would not be doing that with Joe Burrow. All right, man. Dak Prescott, another quarterback here. Week five injury, gruesome right ankle with a fractured dislocation. Obviously had surgery for that. Was progressing reportedly pretty well. Ended up having a second surgery in December, and this kind of flew under the radar. I don't know that a lot of people were talking about it, and I was trying to dig up some details about it to see was it related to the same uh, surgery from before with the fracture dislocation? Was it different? Was it the same ankle? Was it the other ankle? Like, what is going on? And this was per um, Tom Pelissero and Rapsheet. They were saying basically that the uh, the surgery was to strengthen the deltoid ligament, which is the ligament that sits on the inside of the arch of the foot, clean out the ankle and make it more structurally sound and quote. So basically we don't really know. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> so basically we have no idea that could be like a hundred thousand. So the, the thing that you wonder too is so obviously he probably totally tore the deltoid ligament, which is part of the part of what happens when you get a high ankle sprain. Obviously he had like an extreme high ankle, like the worst case scenario of a high ankle sprain essentially, uh, which came with a fracture and the dislocation. 
So I wondered, I thought you were going to say like, oh yeah, they went in there and took hardware out. But when you're saying they did this and they did cleanup, I'm like, huh. So I wonder if that was planned, like you were saying. So it is a little, a little sketchy to me. I would put Dak in the same category of Burrow in terms of, I think he'll play. I think he'll be back. I think he'll be ready. But in terms of his mobility and his apprehension in the pocket, I just wonder how much that's going to impact his rushing. I would be willing to bet today that his rushing attempts or his scramble attempts or both will be down in 2021. So it doesn't mean he can't be good. But again, now that we that that second surgery really sort of throws us off the scent anyway to know if he'll 100% be back uh, by week one. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's too early to say. I definitely think that it it makes you question, right? Like you're saying, it, it makes complete sense if someone was like, oh yeah, this guy had a surgery. We're going to go in in two months and remove the hardware. That's part of the plan. It's like, oh yeah, that happens all the time. Fine. But this is not that. This is a second surgery for something, whether it was just um like the joint was kind of irritated after the surgery with him not being able to progress range of motion or progress strength or something like that or just a completely different issue like you're saying the deltoid ligament which for listeners is basically a ligament that sits on the very inside of the ankle and so when you do kind of have that torsional stress oftentimes in association with these extreme high like high ankle sprain fracture dislocations that also gets gets injured with it so maybe they didn't address it initially for some reason and we're like oh in two months we'll go back in and if it was planned then fine i guess but it definitely makes me wonder and question like what the heck is going on here so unfortunately it's march 1st we don't have information about it yet but hopefully we get more updates as the you know the season goes on or the off season goes on but i think that's a good call like looking at his mobility it's probably going to be reduced this year it's probably not going to be the same and that's part of what made dak special you know people don't think about him as like a rushing quarterback but if you think about it for like three years in a row when he was starting it was like six rushing touchdowns every year you could just chalk it up in the projections lock it in six rushing touchdowns and that adds so much value in fantasy so i think i'm with you that maybe we you know dial back projections a little bit on dak as far as that's concerned but uh again a little too early to say for sure all right man another quarterback pat mahomes patty. this dude patty this dude comes out turf toe right is he good I, was is me. Patrick Mahomes good Yes, uh, based off the extensive analysis I've done yeah, uh, watching yeah. the tape, he is he is very good. Um, if it was me with the turf toe, dude, I'd be on the sideline crying. Um, the fact that he played through that is is awesome. And maybe you can speak to kind of the footwear he was wearing and like the protective plate. I think that gives listeners an idea as to like how how you manage this type of injury that required surgery to be able to be on the field. Yeah, so the the footwear that he was he was had on is essentially it prevents the toe from bending. And so if you think about a natural gait, when you get to the very end of the tip of your toes, you push through your big toe. This dude had a plate preventing him from bending his entire toe. And he had to use his entire or his toe and he had to use his entire foot to push off. And he still ran for what was it? That, that ridiculous number 430 or four, yeah, 426 yards they scrambled for in, in, in the Super Bowl. I mean, oh, yeah, he was just running for his life the entire time. He was literally just running for his life. You know, I, I hate that the Super Bowl went the way that it did because I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. This was his moment where I feel like it was big. And I tweeted this like, I feel like this is the moment that Patrick Mahomes is going to be like, this is like the Michael Jordan shit of legends that he's about to pull off if they win the Super Bowl. And then he had surgery like the, the day after. But, you know, people won't remember it because they lost. But the fact, like you were saying, the fact that he was even in the game, the fact that he even played the game that he did, 
it was it's insane it's incredible i don't i mean i don't know how he did it i would be crying on the sideline along with you so yeah so anyway the foot plate was preventing him from even moving his toe if you want to try that for a day put some put a plate like some hard plate onto your foot and then try walking around like normal and, and let alone playing an nfl game like so anyway this guy what from from what we the estimation it takes about 18 weeks to come back from this injury after surgery so that's average obviously so we're looking at gosh what is that i think he had he had surgery february 10th that would be six months or june-ish middle of june-ish july right so i think he can do it as long as it's not complicated the jury's still out on whether surgery is is better than rehab for these so you know hopefully at least it's he comes back and is uh is ready to go by august yeah. And I think he probably will be. Um, the other thing with Mahomes is that he's been great. He's one of those quarterbacks, kind of like Aaron Rodgers. Like, remember when Aaron Rodgers had the MCL sprain and he still played through it? They just game plan around it. Like, they just said, you know, here you go. Put you in the shotgun. That way you don't have to, like, backpedal and drop back. Quick throws. Get the ball out of your hand. Don't take a hit. Don't scramble. Easy. I think they're going to figure out a way to get him ready for week one and then game plan around it if he's not 100%. But again, he's got time. He'll have all of training camp, presumably, to kind of acclimate back in and kind of get that return to sport type phase. So as of now, I'm pretty optimistic about Pat Mahomes. Um, but man, I'm not going to lie that Super Bowl, I had the under on his rushing yards prop because of the injury. I was like, oh gosh, he was like <laughs> he was like oh, wait, one did, yard oh, short. Did, did he get it? He was under, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. Oh, yeah. But but it was like one yard. It was like very oh, close. Right. Just like all of a sudden started scrambling. I was like, oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Here we go. Um, but man, it just proves these guys are just absolute freaks. Okay. They are different. They are not us. Joe Mixon. This guy, every week, it was the Joe Mixon watch. Is this the week? Is this the week? The answer was inevitably always no. Liz Frank's sprain, the midfoot sprain, call it what you want. That's kind of the terms that you'll hear in the public. Obviously, it's been a while since he's even played football. What are your thoughts on him here looking towards 2021? So I think I, I totally understand why Joe Mixon uh, is viewed the way that he is. I He has, quote unquote, underperformed. I actually listened to Judge Zacharyson's podcast recently where he talks about Joe Mixon. And he mentions that I think Mixon has averaged like 17 carries every game that he started in his entire career, which is like you can't you can't beat that consistency when it comes to a volume perspective. And then when it comes to an injury perspective, I really view him as like an average injury risk because he's had a concussion at this point three years ago. He he has had, I think, a, a loose body. So he had like a scope of his knee, which are they're pretty common. No, they're not great, but they're pretty common. And then this last year he had the foot sprain. So basically what you're looking at is a dude who played, I think, like 95 percent of his uh of his games in college and he's coming off the Liz Frank sprain. We're presuming it's a Liz Frank sprain, the midfoot sprain. And it's actually the opposite of what we think of when we think of the surgery for the Liz Frank. So the Liz Frank, you think Evan Ingram, 2020 Evan Ingram, they're going to have a down year when it's a stable fracture or sprain when it's not, you know, a big deal and they let it heal conservatively. The, they actually have really good outcomes. And so this is a study. Ha bets. I do have these available right here. This is the, Oh gosh, that's a long name. Gregory Aiden, James Robertson. That's one name. That's the name of this return go. to sport following Liz Frank injuries. <laughs> uh, they found the same thing that who was a uh, shockhead found. And essentially, if they don't have surgery, they don't need any type of repair. The, and it's a stable injury. They can come back. Players come back and they're just fine. They, they can perform at the same levels. So when you 
are looking at a 24 year old high. I mean, would have been right. High, high draft capital, if not for the off field stuff. Um, yeah. He, he's a dude that's perfectly primed to take as much volume as you, as you can get. But now that goes back to, will Joe Burrow be available? How bad will that offense be? Because we've seen how bad Joe Mixon can be when that offense is bad. Right. So as the offense goes, Joe Mixon goes usually, you know, instead of, you know, we don't think of a spike weeks, but I'm in on Joe Mixon. I'm more in if Burrow is there within the first month of the season. I think it's a great point. People are going to forget that factor. When you're thinking about trying to project forward, I mean, Burrow matters so much for the offense, right? Like you're saying, if he's not out there, is the offense going to be good? I don't know. And that that definitely worries me a little bit with Mixon. But it might present us a little bit of a buy low opportunity after the first two, three, four weeks. Maybe Joe Burrow's kind of eased back in. All of a sudden, Joe Mixon's been healthy the whole time. He has a, you know, a smash week and all of a sudden here we go. So I, I agree. I mean, this is kind of the the big factor that I feel like our listeners need to take away. A Liz Frank injury is not a Liz Frank injury is not a Liz Frank injury. But the issue is it's got a junk term, right? There's like so many different joints and there's so many different variations of that injury that the general public that just reads the Schefter bomb or the rap sheet report will just say, oh, this guy is just like Evan Ingram or this guy is just like Alshon Jeffrey or this guy is just like Cam Newton who had the surgery, right? Like, But it's all different. So you can have either a fracture, you can have just a mild sprain of the ligaments, you can have a fracture with it being dislocated. Like, It's just a complete continuum of injury that, and we're kind of reading the tea leaves. We don't really know either, but because of the fact that he didn't have to have surgery that we know of, it tells us that you're giving this guy, gosh, basically a, a full year and since he played football last we can be relatively confident in his health moving forward. So uh, I'm with you on Joe Mixon. All right, Julio forever. This makes me so sad. I love Julio Jones. I'll, I'll never stop loving Julio. He could be 35, 37, 38. I don't even know. Still battling hamstring injuries. And I'm like, you know what? This is the year. He's going he's gonna to bounce back. Um, a guy that battles through aches and pains every year. But you always just kind of say like, well, yeah, but it's Julio Jones. And we know he's going to play. But this past year, obviously, we know the story multiple hamstring injuries tried to come back tried to battle back and you know i do the show for uh the fantasy footballers and their uh the injury blitz podcast and i just kept telling everyone that was like should i buy julio should i go trade for him i was like he does like he needs the off season there's no way he's going to be himself this season so now that we kind of have 2020 in the rearview mirror he is one year older we know that the rate of injury goes up as you get older you're going to hear that this off season what are you doing with Julio this season, Edwin? So first, I think it's <laughs> we need to put some respect on Julio's name, right? I think people forget how good Julio Jones is at, at what he does and how healthy he's been, man. He's 30. I think you're right. He's 32, 33, something like that. So he's sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's let me actually pull it up here because I have it. Uh, I mentioned this in the article yeah. that we did last year at Fantasy Points for um, for injury discounts because it was Julian Edelman I was discussing and his age specifically. And I think that the only, here it is. So let's see the only receivers older than AJ green. That's what I was talking about at the time. <clears throat> this was last year. The only receivers uh, older than, than AJ green are Emmanuel Sanders, Deshaun Jackson, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, Ted Ginn, Larry Fitzgerald. So, Julio's not in that category, but I'm pretty sure the next guy underneath AJ Green uh, for the next oldest is Julio Jones. There are not a lot of dudes Julio's age still producing and still producing at an elite level. So 
it wouldn't be unreasonable to see him go down, you know, have a decrease in production. Again, it's Julio though. Like he is literally generational. I think that as, as great as Tom Brady is, as good of a winner that he is, Julio Jones producing at the level that he is and at, you know, at the given his age is to me much more impressive because he's just, he's just out there every week putting up numbers as if he's 25 and that's just nuts. Now he's never had a good offense, right? I mean, Matt Ryan has, Matt Ryan is above average, right? I don't know if you'd agree. He's good. Matt Ryan's okay. Julio Jones has never had touchdown luck either. So coming off the hamstring strains, there's about a 20% recurrence rate uh, in a calendar year for hamstring strains. So he's not out of the, he's not out of the woods there yet. I'm not worried for like contact injuries necessarily, but as the, the age starts to pile onto these guys, you do worry for soft tissue stuff. So I think Julio's a guy I would be willing to in dynasty trade for if I'm a competitor, if I'm competitive and maybe I have, and, and I have an edge, uh, and I and I maybe need like a wide receiver two. I wouldn't trust him as my one. If I needed like a wide receiver two, I would go in for hopefully one last hurrah on Julio Jones. But I would love to get your thoughts on this because I battled this one back and forth. It's tough, man. It's tough because you know what he can do, but you also know what the data says about these players that get older. And we see it year after year after year. The thing with Julio is like, if we're talking dynasty specifically, I mean, it's sort of nice because it fits one roster build. And that's only if you know you're going to win in the next year. I don't even think you'd say two years. Like, you need to be a championship contender this year to even consider drafting him in a startup to consider trading for him. So it's almost a moot point when you talk about his hamstring issue because you're not going to... Like, if you're like, in three years, I hope hope I'm winning in this league. Don't go get Julio Jones, right? So you're already like out on the, the hamstring issues. You're already out on the player's age. But if you're a contender, I think there's some value in Julio Jones. Now, what is Julio Jones? Is he a top five wide receiver that we become accustomed to? Maybe not. But if you can get him and he kind of finishes as like the wide receiver 15 this year, you're going to get him later than that. He's currently going as the wide receiver 25, I believe, 26, something like that in startups. And so it sort of depends on your roster construction and what you think. I think for Julio Jones, I'm kind of more in than out on him moving forward. And the reason is, again, we just... Certain players, I don't know what it is. There's there's definitely a component of like how they train or what they do, and we don't know. Like we're just two dudes <laughs> talking to, to each other through a computer about what we think about these injuries. We don't really know. But there's something to be said about a guy who knows kind of how to deal with injury and knows how to kind of keep his body ready to be able to play. Now, this year, obviously, it caught up to him. And so if you're telling me there's a scenario that exists where Julio either falls off the face of the earth or comes back and is productive, but maybe not the old Julio Jones, I lean more towards the old Julio Jones, um, but it's all about what your roster is right now and what you need. So kind of a long winded way of saying I can see both spectrum, both ends of the spectrum, but I lean more towards him bouncing back this year. Just for, for, for uh, discussion purposes, his lowest, let's see is one, two, three, four, his lowest career points per game and half PPR um, have been 2017, 2020, 2011 and 2012 so even through 2019 and 2018 he was still putting up his peak julio numbers so i mean if you can get 11 to 13 half ppr points per game you know on average from julio that's pretty good if you include a few spike weeks in there when he's right when his touchdowns come hopefully uh then i think he's a he's a good investment i think what we're both saying though maybe correct me if i'm wrong 
he's an investment. He's not a safe investment. Yes, agreed. That's a good way to put it. All right, let's close out the show with Saquon Barkley. I freaking love Saquon. He's just, he's awesome. Um, week two, ACL tear. Actually, the play before, he hyperextended his elbow, and I was like, oh, gosh, that didn't look good. And then what do you know? The next play, freaking tears his ACL. Uh, terrible injury. Obviously, the way it happened was uh, not ideal. Defending off a defender, plants his foot in the ground. There it goes. He'll have almost a full calendar year to get back on NFL field. He is absolutely Saquon freaking Barkley. I'm buying back into the bounce back for Saquon Barkley. And, you know, you look at the rates of players coming back from ACL injuries and the general public, they're not as good as what people think. The general public right now is skewed because we always talk about these guys that are just absolute, you know, the top 1% of athletes in the world. And that matters so much. Like you said, if you're young and you're athletic and you have draft capital, it matters more than if you're, you know, 29 and you just injured your knee skiing. The outcomes are so much different, right? So I'm in a Julio Jones, or excuse me, on Saquon Barkley. He'll have a full year to get back on an NFL field. And he's a special player that just is different. He's just different than you and I. He's different than everyone else out there. So I, I'm pretty excited about Saquon Barkley. I think he's going to have a solid year this year bouncing back. What are your thoughts there? Are you as optimistic as I am or not quite as much? Uh, you, no, I am. I am optimist for all those reasons you just listed. Uh, we know that they they sutured his, his meniscus, so they didn't have to chop any of it out, which is not great, but it's no, you know ideal best case scenario for that for that situation. Uh, we know that, like you said, he's young and athletic. His best comp when it comes to athleticism is actually Adrian Peterson. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I was looking at player profiler. He edges out Adrian Peterson in burst score and speed. If that, if I'm thinking of that correctly, he's a better athlete in theoretically, right? By these metrics, he's a better athlete than Adrian Peterson was. We saw Adrian Peterson did at an older age, you know, and, and came back a little faster, uh, off the, it was the isolated ACL, I think for, for Adrian Peterson, but you know, the point remains Saquon Barkley is a freak of, of nature, an absolute freak of nature. He, his healing times are probably, it's reasonable to say a little faster than most people's, uh, than the average human, I would say. And his athleticism is going to make up for any aches, pains, anything that he might be facing that athleticism is going to really, really help him get off to the, on the right foot when it comes to his rehab. I think that Saquon's going to be back in 20, his rookie year, he finished RB three. I think it was 2019. It was RB 10. I believe this is points per game. It's more than reasonable. It was RB two in 20, his rookie year. It's more than reasonable to, to chalk up Saquon Barkley between RB three and RB nine to me. And it's not, you know, and it's as Twitter would say, and it's not particularly close. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always with the not close. Yeah. Uh, obviously I'm with you on that one for sure. Um, yeah, these guys that just get that insane capital that they have that athleticism and a guy like, you know, you, you see, see it like in college when he came into the NFL, everything that you heard about Saquon Barkley is like this dude just works his butt off and showed on the field. So if there's a guy that you just sort of trust to like do the right thing in his rehab to me, it's, it's Saquon Barkley. So very excited about him this year. Um, what a show, man. That was good. I feel like usually when I talk to people about injuries, it's always very negative. And I feel like today we were at least a little bit more positive. We were, yeah. There were a lot that of great. a lot of positivity, <laughs> positive, positive that we that we exuded. The last thing I want to say, by the way, about Saquon, when who was it? What old head came after him? Some old head, oh some giants old head came after him and was like, Yeah, I don't know why he's doing this or that. And they asked him about it. 
and say they were like criticizing him pretty hard. I wish I could remember what it was. You probably saw the video. Um, and Saquon Barkley like nodded his head and he was like, well, I'll just come to work tomorrow. You know, I'm going to put in my hours. I'll work hard. That person's a legend. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate any feedback they have for me, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that, that was like the, I, that was my turn for Barkley where I was like, man, I love this guy. He could have just trashed him. He could have been like, man, you know who I am. And he didn't, he didn't say one word. He didn't criticize. So I'm, I'm a big fan of athletes like that. Oh yeah, for sure. You like to see when, that <laughs> <laughs> you like to see when they're not only humble, but just like a stud athlete at the same time. It's, I feel like it's kind of rare these days. So yes, it's uh, another good reason to love Saquon. Um, all right, man, we will close the show out there. This was awesome. Hopefully our listeners really find it valuable. If you did subscribe, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, subscribe at Apple podcasts, wherever you listen, wherever you download, make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're following Edwin. Edwin hit them with the Twitter handle. Um, I don't know if you're on Instagram or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> and also really plug. <laughs> okay. Don't follow him there. Just on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and plug anything else you got going on over at fantasy points. Yeah, so go head over to fantasypoints.com, read my part one, Injury Prone is a Lie. I'm going to put out a second article uh, that will discuss a little bit more about how to quantify some of these things that Bets and I talked about today. Uh, put it in plain language and help you sort of uh, make an assessment on your own, fantasypoints.com, Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast, and at FBInjuryDoc on Twitter and Instagram, but I'm not on Instagram very often, so there it is. Thanks again, <laughs> man. This was fun. I like, I like doing this. Absolutely, man. We'll have to touch base soon. Uh, hopefully we get more information on these guys like Joe Burrow, Dak. We'll do another show following up, but yes, follow Edwin, read his stuff. It is awesome. I read it. It helps me. Makes me look super smart. Uh, we are back next week with John and Okada, hopefully. Uh, and until next time, brother Richards. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the red shirts dynasty podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at red shirts, FF pod and check out ballblastfootball.com for all things fantasy football.